Country music has always been pro-America, with a drenched sense of being united, a united community and country. But on September 11, 2001, not only did America change forever, so did country music. Artists started kicking down doors with a heroic attitude that spoke to millions of angry and scared citizens. Join us as we discuss this cultural shift with a very special guest, Mr. Dink Cook, bassist for artists such as Toby Keith, Daryl Worley, Mark Wills, Craig Moore, and more. It is insane to believe that the 9-11 attacks happened 22 years ago. 22 years. I even asked my daughter's babysitter uh, when she was born, and since she's only 18, obviously she was not alive during 9-11, but she was born in 2005. Like, I was so shocked. (laughs) Right? Like, there are actual adults walking around that were not alive when this happened. So, crazy. (laughs) That in and of itself is insane. Um, So, my big question comes from Alan Jackson's patriotic hit, Where Were You? So, where were you when the world stopped turning? It's difficult not to get emotional when listening to this song. And I think it became one of the most chilling songs in the wake of being brutally attacked. So that's my question to you, Whitney. Where were you when the world stopped turning? Okay, so um, I'm from Owensboro, Kentucky, and currently am back in Owensboro, Kentucky. But I grew up in Somerset, Kentucky, which is on, it's kind of in the hills, eastern Kentucky. You're not quite in the hills, but almost there. And um, I was in second grade in Miss Van Hooser's class. (laughs) Dink. (laughs) Dink is like, (laughs) he's shooketh right now. But yeah, I was in second grade. (laughs) And um, we had gone through the whole school day and we were just about to be dismissed from class and either go, you know, if you're a car rider, go get in your car, go get on the school bus. Well, Miss Van Hooser... Um, she sat us down and she was like this fun teacher. She had a Mickey Mouse tattoo. Like she was just one of those fun, goofy teachers. Well, she was really serious and everybody knew it and it got really quiet. And she, I'm getting chills thinking about it. Um, but she sat us down and she was just like, Hey, y'all are about to get on the school bus and you're probably going to hear from the older kids what happened today. And so she kind she just gave us the spill of what happened and that, um, the, ta- the big, the big towers in the city in New York city got hit. And, um, I don't know exactly what she said, but she, she kind of gave us the rundown, but in my head. So I started thinking, I was like, okay, so this would have happened in the morning time. And I remember me and my big brother, Josh, were standing outside that morning waiting for the school bus. And I remember there was all these birds flying over us, like Hmm. crazy amount of birds. And I just thought, that's really weird, and it stuck in my head. And so when she told us that, my seven-year-old brain thought, that's what happened. All those birds flew over because they were scared of the planes hitting the towers. So, yeah, I don't know. I'll always, I will always remember those birds in 9-11. I don't know. But, yeah. Isn't that crazy what, like, your 
mind focuses on and that becomes like a core memory. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, my dad was, and well, he's retired now, but he was in the Air Force. So we were stationed at Wright Pat Air Force Base. So we lived in Ohio. And I wasn't in second grade, but I was in sixth grade. <laughs> and I remember. What? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Is there that big a difference in age between us? I guess when it when we come to like grades, I think our age okay, gap yes, sounds a because lot bigger. You're, you're the same age 34. as my brother. Yeah, you're the same yeah. age as my brother, and he went to middle school. Okay. <laughs> Dink's like, oh my God. Y'all make me feel really, really old right now. <laughs> really, really old. I'm oh, oh, sorry, gosh. Dink. You're not old. <laughs> you're uh, still a whippersnapper. Um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we were dismissed early that day, same, and my dad was never home in the morning, right? So when I got home, I remember, you know, seeing smoke on the TV, and my parents were really quiet, but then my dad turned around, and he was crying, and Dink, mm-hmm. there's something about me. When I see men get emotional, it breaks me down, okay? I don't care who you are. You know, the toughest man, that actually is what gets me choked up even more is when you have a very tough man, like my dad, right? My dad's emotional, but he's your dad. So when I saw him crying, I was like, oh, this is serious. And then I saw President Bush, you know, like the whole the whole thing. And it's just crazy to remember. And it's just the piercing footage and, you know, and recently I've watched, you know, the Hulu documentary that came out, the Netflix documentary and all this, and it starts to paint a picture. And as an adult, you can grasp it a lot more. And you're like, oh, wow, this, I knew this was heavy as a kid, but holy cow. Right. Um, so it's, it's crazy. So as a disclaimer, Before we get in deeper for our listeners, we're not diving deep into politics here, okay? We don't do that. Mm -mm. Don't worry. We don't want to talk about that. (laughs) But unfortunately, some of these things that we'll talk about, it's just going to graze by, okay? It's just going to graze by. We're not going to dive in. We're just going to graze by. Uh, Now, from 2001 through at least the midpoint of the decade, there was an excess of broadly patriotic or specifically 9-11 inspired songs being produced and pumped through our radios. Alan Jackson's Where Were You, Aaron Tippin's Where the Stars and Stripes and the Eagle Fly, Brooks, Brooks and Dunn's Only in America, <laughs> Charlie Daniels, my man Charlie, This Ain't No Rag, It's a Flag, Randy Travis's America Will Always Stand, and Hank William Jr.'s America Will Survive, which was a rework of his 1982 hit, A Country Boy Can Survive, all dropped in 2001. Patriotism has always existed in country music, but after 9-11, it became a kind of different patriotism. Kind of for, you know, sorry for the punny and corny imagery here, but it became like a giant eagle ready to swoop in and target the sadness and anger (laughs) in the hearts of all those that truly loved America. Daryl Worley, Toby Keith, Lee Greenwood, Alan Jackson, and Craig Morgan are the more pronounced names that come to mind when thinking about patriotic country artists. And And boy, are we so excited to have our special guest here that has toured with Toby Keith, Daryl Worley, Mark Wills, and more. 
We are honored to have the talented and hilarious bassist and proudest Alabamian you'll ever meet, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Dink Cook, with us, everybody. Thank you for Woo! joining us. We're so happy to have you here. Glad to be here. Yes. So <laughs> for our listeners, Dink and I met when I was working at TPAC, and we did a series called the Nashville, um, what was it? Oh. Nashville... House concerts. House concerts. And they were on Thursday nights. <laughs> okay. Dink's laughing at me because my memory is that of an acorn. <laughs> Not an acorn. What do you dig into my memory? <laughs> we're just going to have to struggle, bus it, you know. But I kept wanting to say country classics, but what, it, what always killed me, Dink? Okay, you're going to get some backstage tea on this, Okay. What always killed us was that we were on Thursday nights, which was the exact same night as the Ryman Auditorium's Country Classic concerts, right? And my husband was an audio engineer at the Grand Ole Opry for five years. So I, um, shifting real quick, I watched another podcast clip of you talking about performing at the Grand Ole Opry and how... Uh, you're so good at guitar, it kind of sounds fretless. Is that what you were saying? And so uh, some of the well, engineers... I wouldn't call it so good, but it's just a style. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the way that I play. Yeah, I've, I've been told that. And I, I kind of can see it, but mm-hmm. it's, just, it's, it's a natural thing to me. So. Well, Whitney, one of the... Uh, the front house engineer and one of the monitor like stage guys, they uh, took a bet if he was playing a fretless guitar. Is that correct? That's correct. And yeah. one of them won money. And I swear, listening to that story, it had to have been Bob and well, probably Sarge. Probably not, because this happened back when I was with Mark Wills. And it was one of my first couple of times on the Opry, which was in the late 90s. Hmm. Okay, okay. Well, it sounds like something they would do. <laughs> yes, he was probably in kindergarten then. <laughs> no, no, no. No, man, Bob was like around with Grateful Dead. Like, I don't, he wasn't doing sound with them, but yeah, he's, was he's an old school rock glasses? star. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Love but, Bob. You know, I, it's been so many years ago. I mean, I, I can't remember. I mean, that's been 20, over 20 years ago. So. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say, as a side note, I was so happy when they finally inducted him as a Grand Ole Opry member. He waited far too long. Way too long. <laughs> yeah, I Just agree. Just like Sarah Evans. <laughs> and, they're, and they're missing, they're still missing one, and that would be Daryl Worley. Yes, oh, yeah. they're missing so many people that I am, like, shocked. That they are not members. Don't even get me started on that one. (laughs) All right. Um, (laughs) We ain't trying to get Dink canceled tonight, okay? So (laughs) we digress. Uh, That's that's another hour-long conversation. Hey, Dink, when when we're in Nashville, we can all get together off mic because I want to hear the tea. Yeah, I see. Okay. You know, I know a little bit. I know know enough not to get me in trouble. Mm. Oh, okay. Well. I know so much it'll get me in trouble. (laughs) Me and Liz stay in trouble. Yes, we do. We do stay in trouble, so we're bad influences, Dink. 
That's all right. <laughs> okay, so to break it down for our listeners, you were with Mark Wills from 1998 to 2009. Yep. Daryl Worley from 2009 until the end of 2012? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Okay, and uh, Toby Keith starting in 2013 and still going. Yes. I wow. love that. So cool. So we'll we'll pause on this heavy topic for just a second because I want to do a little Q&A with you first. But I'd love for you to go ahead and tell our listeners all about yourself, how you got into touring and country music. So take the floor. Wow. (laughs) I I hate talking about myself. (laughs) Well, you're one of the most humble musicians I've ever met. I'll say that. Well, to, to try to cut through everything, Bottom line, I started playing piano by ear at six years old. Over the years, I played piano, guitar, drums. Never played bass until I got out of high school. And uh, had a, my sister sing at Opryland. Was actually in uh, Country Music USA with several people that you've heard of, like Ty Herndon. She and so cool. Was, what was what was cool about that is that she and Ty auditioned for Opryland on the same day. My mom met his mom. They both got in. Both parents decided to move into the same set of apartments in Hermitage, and my mom and his mom took turns taking them and picking them up from wow. work. Which that didn't ring a bell until I went out and subbed with Ty. And okay. I'm. And I'm sitting in the back talking to Ty, and my sister called me. She, she saw where I maybe put on Facebook or something, and I was out seven with Ty. And she goes, oh, hey, tell Ty. I said, hello. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like, uh, yeah, like, you don't know who you are. And uh, so I said, hey, and Ty, my sister says hi, and Ty's on his computer. He goes, hey, like that. She goes, no. He goes, tell him that, uh, ask, she said, ask him if he remembers Opryland. And I go, my sister wants to know if you remember Opryland. That kind of got his, got his attention. He goes, yeah. And she goes, how about Country Music USA? And I went, Country Music USA? He goes, yeah. And she goes, tell him that your sister is Jenny Cook. And I said, Jenny Cook? And he goes, oh, my God. <laughs> and I said, that's my sister. So it's it's a really small world. So anyway, yeah, I was about to say Nashville is so small. It's like a small town. Yeah, I just kind of got sidetracked, but kind of not really. <laughs> but my my sister had sang. Uh, she had befriended Roy Acuff and his wife. Wow! And, and Roy Acuff put her on the Opry when she was sixteen a couple of times. Well, through what that, dream. through that, she met, and I'll give no names. She met another Opry member back then. This was in, you know, this was in the mid to late 70s. Actually, this was late 70s to early 80s. And uh, she met this member's son. And they got to talking. And she said, had told him that I played music and he mm-hmm. said well I'm for, if I'm looking for a bass player to go on the road and she goes well my brother plays bass hmm. I'd never picked a bass up in my entire life 
Thanks, sis. <laughs> so she gives me my number, and I get a call from him, and he goes, hey, man, uh, looking for a bass player, and I met your sister. She said, you play bass? And I go, yeah, I play bass. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. We said, well, can you have your gear in Nashville in three days and do some rehearsal and go on the road down to Bruton, Alabama? And I went, yeah. Of course, I didn't own a bass guitar, and I didn't own a bass guitar yet. Right. So, no equipment. <laughs> so try to cut through all this. I had to call my dad, get him to co-sign on the loan. Went and bought a 74 P, uh, Fender P bass. I was in Nashville. You know, I could hear, being musical, I could hear bass parts. Because mm-hmm. I played, you know, I played key bass and piano and guitar and a little drums. And uh, so... Let's just say, through all that, I did my first gig in Bruton, Alabama, playing bass, and we wound up having to play for all, which we didn't know, all these Grendel Opry stars. What right? in the world? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we're talking like Ernie Ashworth, Speck Rhodes, Little Roy Wiggins, Jay Lee Webb, Justin Tubb. And I didn't have a clue what Holy these people <laughs> Did you die? Uh, let's put it this way to cut through everything. It's the only gig in my entire career that I've ever been fired off of. Oh, they, wow. took, they took me halfway to Birmingham to Montgomery, pulled off an exit, dropped, unloaded all my gear on a grassy corner on a filling station. And told me I needed to find my own way back home. They had to get back. So, oh my gosh! So my my first and only firing was very memorable, and uh, yeah, that was that story is what made me want to learn how to play bass. So I went back to Birmingham and started playing around, and never looked back, and played from eighty one to eighty nine, and in eighty nine I went to work with uh, if you remember Tom Wopat. Luke Duke from the Dukes of Hazard. Yep. Mm-hmm. I was with him for two or three years. That was my first technically artist gig. Mm-hmm. And then uh, went back wow. to mus- went to Muscle Shows and played with uh, a couple of bands trying to get a record deal, chasing that you know, chasing that dream. And anyway, wound up uh, wound up get, getting a call from Mark in 1998. I, I knew Mark through a mutual friend already. That's pretty yeah. inspirational that you got you got fired, but you still kept going at it, and you've now played with so many people. Uh, oh, wild. Well, here's the thing. I got out of high school and went, all right, what now? And I, I, <laughs> didn't, I didn't have any intention of playing music. I didn't know what I was doing. Dang. So that was pretty much a dumb beep. I'll beep it to you. <laughs> Uh, we don't beep around here, Dink. I was a total dumbass coming out of school. There you go. And uh, so, uh, anyway, so, uh, you know, I, I look at it this way. God had a plan for me. And yes, I sir. was taking one step at a time. And he's gradually uh, taking care of me. And and every every job that I've ever played and every gig I've ever had, you know, was a blessing and a, uh, the next one was a step up and you know I'm very blessed 
to be where I'm at right now. You know, uh, even with everything Toby's going through, you know, uh, yeah. we're, we're, we're fixing to get back at it. Wow. Well, that is very exciting news yep. uh, that yep. he's about to get back to it. But see, folks, you just got to shoot your shot. And yeah, then one right. day you'll be on a huge stage with Toby Keith. You never know. <laughs> yeah, don't, you don't get anywhere unless you take a chance. Exactly. You can't sit back and go, oh, don't want to be there. got to be prepared. you got to go for it. That's right. Go for it. Even well, no matter how Congrats on being on the cover of uh, Bass Musician Magazine in May. Very cool. Um, you've been killing it. And I saw in June that you had gotten back from being on the road with Craig Morgan. So how was that? That was great. I did three months shoving out with those guys. Uh, they were they were actually looking for a keyboard player. The bass mm-hmm. player had, had gone over and played keys and called me and said, Hey, man, I'm going to go play keys with Craig for about three months. You'll, since you're off with Toby, you want to come out and play with us? Well, yeah. Right. <laughs> of course. So, so I did three months for those guys, and uh, what a great organization that is. You know, Craig treated me great. Uh, I hate that it ended. That that actually got me back into playing the Opry some, you know, because I did nice. several Opry dates with him. And now um, that I'm not doing that, and they, they finally found a keyboard player, no more Opry dates. So ah. then there's the next. Well. Then there's the next chapter. There you yeah. go. So is that how it kind of goes in the industry? Since I'm not a musician, I don't know. Now, Whitney is a musician, so you may know Whitney. But is it kind of how it goes? Like, you don't audition necessarily. It's all just networking. Well, it, things have, have changed over the last 30 years. I mean, mm-hmm. back in the, back in the 80s and 90s, Nashville would have what they called cattle calls. Okay. And um, it was about, you know, uh, let's say, let's say Mark Wills Mm -hmm. was looking for a bass player. Uh, You know, back in the 80s, you might go down to the Union. If you were a member of the Union, they used to have a board down there or they had a book behind the desk that had certain auditions that were going on on certain dates, whether, you know, no matter what big artist it was or little artist. And uh, they would normally do them at Soundcheck, if you know where Soundcheck is. Um, I do. And, what, you know, some people would do one day and some people would do two days. And they might call in, you know, if, it's, if they're auditioning bass players, they might call in 20-plus bass players over a two-day period. And then try to narrow it down and bring so many back the next day, and uh, wow. you know. But but the last you know the last twenty years, it's just it's, they've got really gotten away from that. Every now and then you'll hear an audition, but more often than not, it's it's the artist going to the guys in the band, going, "Hey, so and so's leaving. We need to replace him. Y'all tell me who y'all think would be good." I have two questions uh, coming off that. So I've always, there's always that idea of Nashville that there's people out on Broadway scouting people out. Do you think that still happens as far as musicians go? Or is that kind of a 
I'm not I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. I personally mm-hmm. have never seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, as far as looking for players, it's it's all inside now. It's all it's yeah. all you know, saying about who you know. Yeah. When it and comes most. Most people that live in Nashville don't want to go downtown, so I can't no. see a record or like a, mu- a music business person wanting to go hang out downtown and start. The only time shopping. they go, may- the only time they go downtown to hang out is after they get off of work, mm-hmm. uh, and or if they're going to a showcase. If somebody's having a showcase, and you know you might have management or booking agencies or record label people going to the showcases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I can't speak for other people. That's just what I've seen. And I, I don't go downtown as much anymore as I used to. I still go down there and sub every now and then. Uh, and, you know, I'll go out to Opryland and sub. And, uh, <clears throat> you'll see you'll see artists down there every now and then. But mm-hmm. they're not down there just because they got nothing better to do. If they're down there, they're down there for a purpose. They go down there and do what they got to do. And Word. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so say. when you go, went into these cattle call auditions, do you just play a song? Like, you just bring an audition song? Or are they expecting you to know the artist's song that you're going for? What they do, first off, you have to get in and talk to somebody in a, a range of time and be accepted to audition. Once you talk to management or whoever, they will give you a list of anywhere from three to five songs of that artist that you have to have ready when you come in. That might be playing, that might be playing and singing. You know, you might, they might be looking for a singing bass player and they might get 30 calls from bass players that can't sing. So that already narrows it down. Yeah. Uh, So it's, it's, they will let you know what songs they're auditioning. So the the actual band will be there except that, let's say, bass player. They'll, they'll have a rig there for him. You'll go in, in here, plug in, play through the five songs, and they will make a judgment call at the, at the end of the day on who played the best. You know, and a lot of times, you know, I mean, let's be real. A lot of times personality has a lot a lot to do with it because they want somebody that's a good hang that's got good bus etiquette you know mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of things to it it's not just being a, a great player so a good hang is such a nashville it is, it is. you know i've known yeah. guys that were great players that got really good artist gigs that yeah. didn't last a week or two weeks because personality clash or they weren't yeah. a good bus hanger didn't pick up after yourself it's you know you treat the bus like it's everybody's home i mean it is everybody's home so yeah. you got to respect yeah. everybody else so that brings up a good question which is our next question which is do you like touring and what do you like best about it if you do like it because i don't feel like i'd like living on a bus but hey i don't know I sleep better on a bus than I do in my own bed. Did you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, the limited space keeps you from tossing and turning, for one. Okay. Oh. Yeah, you're just like... <laughs> Believe it or not, I mean, it's two, and I can still roll over fine from side to side. But I, I'm used to it. I mean, the the uh, 
just the movement and and the noise. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, it's just that's what I know. Yeah, uh, it's like home. So, some people get used to it, and some don't. And I, you know, I, I, I love being on a bus. I tell I tell people when I get too old to play, and I'm too old for anybody wanting to be on stage with me. I'm going to be an old man and go sell merch for somebody just so I can ride on the bus. <laughs> Heck yeah. If we ever make it dink and you have nothing going on, you're going to be the best merch slinger. <laughs> I appreciate that. I can't count for crap. <laughs> it's okay. We won't care. We'll be too happy we made it. I, yeah. can, sell, I can sell ice, ice to an Eskimo. There you go. See? Listen, you and Keo, Keo was our drummer, Whitney. Oh, Y'all okay. were my favorite people. I looked forward to Thursdays so much uh, because Keo, it was Keo. like the best time. I, I still get to play with Keo every now and then. Sometimes hey, I'll sometimes I'll sub he plays at the uh over in West End at the local every Monday with mm-hmm. Sam oh, okay. And uh uh and I'll go out and sub with those guys every now and then. So I I, I still get to play with Keo every now. I, love, I love that. They they kept me so happy, Whitney. Like, I would be so stressed out. Or, like, crap would hit the fan, and they would just look at me while they're playing on stage, and we would just make those <laughs> eyes, those communication eyes. I loved it. Um, oh, my gosh. So whose crowds would you say are the craziest, most rambunctious? I would think Mr. Toby Keith's crowds are pretty oh, rowdy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You That's see a every- party I want to be at. You see everything there. It's it's funny watching some of, it's funny watching some of the costume people come in. Oh, oh I, I bet. bet I didn't even think about that. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean they, you know, and, and every, of course everything is red solo cup. People will come come dressed yeah. inside the big cup. You know, they'll have lighted jewelry that's uh, necklaces that's red solo cups, and you know, it's just you name it, I've seen it. Oh my and gosh, it, doesn't. Awesome. And of course, the the pre concert uh, parking lot parties. Oh yeah! Are, oh yeah! Pre game tailgating. Pretty outrageous. Take off the laminates so so nobody knows who you are, and just go walking through and watching everybody. Yes. Yeah, good people watching. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, doesn't Chris Jansen have a song about a red solo cup? Because that woman came no, into the shop with it, a big it's, solo um, cup. I can have a drink. Oh, okay. So no, it ain't that. Okay. Um, what is one of your favorite memories from the road, or like a crazy story? Really, you were asking me about over almost forty years. Well, you know, <laughs> I'm just testing. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't remember, I'll move on. <laughs> well, I mean, I just I just got through doing another one of these the other day we won't mention the name but i i told them those guys about the craziest story and Mm -hmm. if you want the same story i can give you the same story but it's the craziest thing that's ever happened to me really playing in that when i was with mark wills Wills, uh let's i will take the blame after all these years and say i thought showtime was at eight o'clock and it was at seven o'clock okay. and i was i was at i was at mohegan sun playing at the lions again if you've ever been to mohegan sun in Uppersville, connecticut no, I the club sets sits in the middle of the casino and it's open 
So anybody that's playing, you can hear it in the whole casino, right? Mm-hmm. And this was when I first started with Mark in the late late nineties, and uh, at that time we were dressing in nice nice black slacks and nice button up shirts and nice shoes and you know no hats. Everybody's hair stitched and everybody was dressed really nice back then. So I knew that if we had an eight o'clock show, that at seven o'clock. I needed to run out to the bus, which was outside the door, dress. That way I could be backstage by 7.30, right? Mm -hmm. So I've been sitting at a roulette table all day because I liked roulette at that time. (laughs) And I was making a pretty nice penny that day. And about five till seven, I decided to walk over to the cashier's window in the back of the casino and cash out. So I'm sitting there, got my chips, and I'm just... I have to go lucky. I sit there look at my watch. Yeah, it's a great time. All of a sudden, I hear this through the casino. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage Mercury recording artist Mark Wills. And the drummer goes, What? <laughs> and just drops. Oh and I grab my money and I go running through the casino. Oh my God. in tennis shoes, blue jeans, and a white t shirt and a ball cap. Mm-hmm. Not the look. <laughs> and and the uh, the stage, how the stage was set up was you have the crowd, you have the stage, and in front of the stage was the only way to get up on stage. It had steps that started in the front of the stage and went up like oh, this. Oh, Lord. Yeah. So I come around the corner. They didn't even realize I wasn't there. Oh, my God. I would have. They're playing, and the keyboard player realizes it, and he's having to kick bass. Right? Oh, my gosh. So I come around the corner, and the monitor engineer sees me, and he gets, takes a double take, and he grabs my my ear monitors and my, my belt packs and my bass and helps me get strapped in. And I have to make that shameful walk. Oh, my God. Down in between the crowd and the stage. Dead and walk up the steps in front of Mark, walk back to my mic position, and my head down like this, and I'm like this, and I never would finish up Poor the thing. Song, finish up the first song and we kick right into Jacob's ladder right after that and we're sitting at a bath in Jacob's ladder. And I never up. And out of my peripheral, I see Mark. He doesn't look at me, but he turns around and he has a slow walk back to the talkback mic. And I never look at him, and he gets in the mic and goes, Nice of you to join us, Mr. Cook. Oh, God. <laughs> and out. And, well, this, nobody could hear it but us, obviously. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. It's in your ears, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, so... Needless to say, that that was the most memorable. <laughs> yeah. the most memorable Do y'all still show. talk about that? No, uh, we haven't in a long time. I, I actually went out and sub a couple of times. I've got another sub date coming up with him in October, and uh, but we we have laughed about it a couple of times over the years. That would be one of those moments that I think about randomly when I lay down at night. And I'm just like, 
I try not to. It scarred me. Yeah. Oh my God, I bet it did. It's like a walk <laughs> of shame. You're like clearly sticking out like a sore thumb. Trust me, that is the ultimate walk of shame. <laughs> Wearing blue jeans, a hat, a t-shirt, everybody's all dressed in black and dressed nice. And you have to walk up the front of the stage in front of the artist and walk back to your position. Yeah, that's the ultimate <laughs> walk of shame. So. Man. Wow. Well, boy. hopefully you don't ever do that. That was God dink being like, boy, you better walk towards that cash. <laughs> That's what you get for gambling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear that uh, Mr. Toby Keith is gearing up to get back out there. I was really sad to hear um, about his stomach cancer last year. So how has that been? Like, I know you said you had mentioned something last night um, about how he's fought stage four colon cancer twice and beat it. So Uh, not Toby. That was Wade Hayes. Oh, okay. Wade Hayes, Wade Hayes. Stage four colon cancer twice. Jeez. Toby had had stomach cancer. Right. Okay. I didn't Uh, know if he had several different kinds. So. Toby had stomach cancer, and uh, he's been fighting it for about a year and a half. Uh, Mm -hmm. I had to say, I would say about a year and a half. And we haven't played, we haven't really played anything in a year and a half until about about a month and a half ago, two months ago. We did a, what we called a rehearsal slash pop-up show at... Uh, he's got a stage set up out back of his, uh, he and his son's place called Hollywood Wood Corners in Northern Oklahoma. Oh, wow. And they have bands out there, from what I understand, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. And so he paid the band that was supposed to be there that week mm-hmm. because it was kind of hush-hush. Uh, well, it was supposed to be hush-hush, and we showed mm-hmm. up to do the first night, and there was like a thousand people there. So wordly. Wow. Wordly right. down. And uh, we did a Friday and Saturday, and he sang uh, at least two and a half, between two and a half and three hours both nights, and he, he killed it. He did good. You know. That Dang. is amazing. That's great stamina. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. So that, that fired him up. And uh, so we have uh, coming up, I don't know if y'all have heard, but uh, the People's Choice Award, Awards are coming up. And he is going to receive the first inaugural inaugural uh, country music icon award. Oh my gosh! That is so awesome. So cool. Blake Blake Shelton's going to award it to him. He's going to give it to him, and then we're going to do a couple of songs on that. And I think Blake is going to sing with us on one of them. So that is is next month. I think the end of next month. Next month. Wow. Okay. So this will come out after that. So y'all so y'all watch out for that. Yes. <clears throat> Toby Keith has so many like you you think of the, you know, um Beer for My Horses and mm-hmm. then the Red Soul Cup, but he's got ballads. He's got I mean, I could listen to his music all day long. He's had so good. I say somebody can correct me if I'm wrong and I should know this, but I, I believe he's got twenty two number one records. Wow. wow. That's not top fives and top ten. So you you think at at what he's done in his career, just uh, 
as a singer, not just a singer, but a songwriter, because he's, mm-hmm. he's, written, he's written most of them, you know. But, uh, That's truly remarkable. He's, he's, he's had the uh, dream career, for sure. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm glad y'all are getting back out there. That's exciting. I can't wait to hear what what is next and his new music and all that. We plus two. All right. I got well, chills when you told me about the award. Oh, my gosh. That is so we heard it here first. Now, this is going to come out <laughs> after, but we heard it here first. <laughs> it's, it's, already hit, it's already hit the news. It's, okay. it's, it's, it's I'm behind uh, the times. Uh, it's, uh, it's just make me think I feel – just make me think I'm cool, Dink, okay? <laughs> Y'all heard it first. <laughs> <laughs> This is a spill in the tea exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Running hot. <laughs> All right. Well, at the beginning of the episode, Dink, Whit and I talked a little bit about where we were when 9-11 happened. So do you remember where you were? Remember like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Mark Wills, uh, we were running two buses and, and we were headed to Canada. And... Wow. I remember, of course, we had already crossed over, but, you know, we crossed over above Washington State. And uh, mm. so we were on the other side of the map, so it was really early over there to a point where everybody was still sleeping. Wow. Uh, and the only thing I remember, I remember being asleep in my bunk, and I heard commotion up in front of the bus that woke me up and next thing I know, of course Mark Mark is in was in the front bus. We had we running two buses. So they had okay. pulled over and Mark got off the bus. And I wanna say this was probably what, six o'clock in the morning, something like that, where we were. Uh, and next thing I know bunk lights are coming on in the bus and Mark's saying everybody needs to get up and check this out the TV was on up front we all piled up front and at this time one plane had hit wow the towers and we're we're all you know there was so much time between the two planes yeah or or it seemed it seemed like forever Uh, we were all going Man, I wonder what could have happened. I wonder, you know, uh, the pilot passed out or, you know, we were given different scenarios on what had happened. But the last thing we thought of was a terrorist, a terrorist attack. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're all sitting there watching it. And all of a sudden, we see this, the second plane. And one of the guys goes, look, there's another plane. And it comes circling, circling around the back and it runs into the top. And that's when we knew that that was not an accident. We all thought right. it was accidental. And when that happened, uh, you know, listening to the commentators on the news, and we all knew that that was not an accident. So wow. as soon as it happened, as y'all know, as soon as that happened, they shut down all the board. So we were stuck in Canada. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, For how we long? Were we were headed up to play a casino, and, you know, by the time we got to the casino, you know, everybody was piled around, you know, there were a thousand 
TVs on in the casino. Everybody was piled around watching them. Of course, they didn't stop gambling, but they were watching everything. And, you know, at that point in, in the middle part of the day, they were trying to decide whether we would go ahead and play or not. Hmm. And uh, I don't remember a whole lot about that night other than we wound up doing the show. And uh, I, I wish I could tell you I, I remember a lot about that show, but everybody's head was just spinning, you know. Right, right. And by this time, we knew they had folks shut the borders down and all the airports. And uh, we were trying to figure out now how long it would be before they opened up the borders. Well, I want to say it was, if I can remember correctly, it was a couple of days before they opened up the borders. They only opened up one. And I think it was the one, uh, is there one coming in from Wisconsin? Is there a, a oh. Canadian border up in Wisconsin? Uh, I think so, it, yeah. It was either Wisconsin or Michigan. We had to ride, drive all the way from west, west Canada to that border. They opened oh, wow. up for people to start coming in, going mm. back and forth. But I remember it took forever to get through that through that border. Uh, wow. But that's, uh, <clears throat> you know, that's where I was. And that's, you know, like I said, I remember that like it was yesterday, pulling the yeah. buses and, and watching it as it happened. I can't imagine, like, we've all seen the videos now, but I can't imagine seeing that in real time as it I was, know. as they were hitting. I can't. I know. There was there was eighteen minutes between the planes. Yeah, the longest eighteen minutes ever, but eighteen minutes. It, it, it seemed like it. Eighteen seems about right, but it seemed mm-hmm. it seemed like thirty. But yeah, eight, eighteen. Uh, that gave us a lot of time to to sit there and say, you know, give different scenarios and what had happened. You know, like I said, uh, terror terror terrorists never crossed our minds until as soon as that second plane hit. Yeah, we knew, right. Oh, but this is not accidental. Yeah. Man, I don't know if you've watched the Hulu documentary. I know a lot of people have chosen not to because, I mean, it's so chilling. But just the oh, amount of footage yeah. they happen to have gotten is incredible. Like the whole documentary starts out with these firefighters doing a training in the middle of the street. They're just out there doing a training and they look up and they see the first plane hit like on camera. Right. And I'm like, holy, just to be, I mean, isn't it amazing? The right place at the right time kind of thing. You know, back then they didn't have cameras stashed everywhere. You didn't have it on your phone. Like that's what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, we had no cell phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fact that they even got that footage of the first one hitting was incredible. Yeah, and then, and then of course all the cameras were 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 uh, on it when the second one hit. So right. But just the amount of tourist footage, too. Like, all these tourists with their cameras. Because you see, oh, yeah. like, after the towers have fallen. I'm just like, holy cow. Because that's what I was thinking. They didn't have phones like we do now. So, no. I thought that was pretty crazy. No. It's, uh, it's, it's, 
It's crazy how a moment from 22 years ago can still give you the chills. <laughs> like I mean, us honestly. talking about this, it just it's it not, really not trying to be not trying to be morbid, but one of one of the biggest images of me was when they would zoom in when they would zoom in on the on the building and you would see people standing jumping and jumping jumping out out of the Choosing building to jump out. They had no other way no other way there. I know. And like in the documentary, you know, you see them and you see the police and firefighters trying to come up with some sort of strategy to get upstairs. And then you start hearing this loud bang and people are like, what is that? And they finally realize that it's bodies hitting the roof. And it's like, yeah. if you, if you haven't seen the documentary, go watch the documentary falling man. Falling There's man. Yeah, Falling Man, and it's it's a documentary on one of the men that they got that jumped, and they finally realized, found out who it was, and they kind of did a documentary on him. Oh wow! Holy cow! If you ever get a chance to watch that, it's it's pretty powerful. I will. I will. I think now, it was such a, a a time for the whole country to be scared, and maybe that's why country music took a stand of being like, "Hey, we we." We're going to put a boot in your ass, okay? Like, we're all scared, and we're going to stand up and... You know, I, I told y'all before that I'm, I'm, I try not to get political, but mm-hmm. I told... But I... I, I, uh, I mentioned, I think, yesterday about, you know, if you think about the problems that we've got in our world right now and the uh, diversity... Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think back at nine eleven, man, it, nobody cared if you were left or right or black or white. Mm-hmm. Everybody came together as, as Americans, and that's it. It took a tragedy like that for us not to care about politics or about right. race, and to mm-hmm. see where we've gotten since then. So sad, isn't it? It breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, well, that's that's what I loved that you mentioned is that what you remember the most is how America came together. Yes. And and yeah. America forgot about that. Mm-hmm. They didn't forget about nine eleven, but they but they forgot about how everybody came together. Yeah, because as I mean, I was just a kid, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it just felt like for me. All of a sudden, we were this big united thing, and then the second we went to war or whatever, it all kind of snapped, and then people were all over the map with how they felt. I don't necessarily agree with that because every everybody okay. wanted everybody wanted Bin Laden got you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know. Uh, Nobody ever wants war, but in my opinion, people that I knew and people I talked to, everybody wanted him found and got. Yeah. Whatever that meant, you know. Uh, yeah. I think was, I think it was I think it was year, a few years after that. Uh, okay. I won't get into that. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. It's just but, funny how kids perceive things. You know what I mean? Like you, well, I feel like as a kid, I muddled all this time together. You know, I think you know the fact, the fact that the gener, in my opinion, 
again, it's just my opinion, the fact that, that the generation now that's in their 20s, let's say their 20s and even some early 30s, that weren't mm-hmm. alive, alive to know what coming together and mm-hmm. being in the country felt like. They were raised up in the separation that we have now. Very and that, true. that's all they know. Very true. So, yeah. That's, well, that's just one, one base player's opinion. <laughs> that's right. All so, I remember is Lee Greenwood playing 24-7, God right. bless the USA. Oh, yeah. In the Piggly Wiggly. No. <laughs> And wear my old navy. Um, every yes, kid flag. had that old navy flag shirt. Yes, <laughs> they're still making money off that. I love it. Every Fourth of July, you know, it's the holidays yeah. when they release that tank top. Oh yeah. Well, I I know you started playing for Mr. Keith a ways after nine eleven, but I just thought this was interesting that I'd bring up. So there was a case study done on Toby Keith and American nationalism in January of two thousand fifteen. That talks about how people can create a national community through music as long as it instills nationalistic feelings or thoughts to the audience and how Toby Keith nailed it. It starting with his song Courtesy of the Red, White and Blue, which honors his father and the events of 9-11. So I'm sure that that is a fan favorite, right? Of course. So I'm sure he plays that at his concerts. And I end, end the show with that. Okay, yeah. you do. I just feel like that is such an electric moment yes. at his and show. He, and he always brings up military. You know, he'll find military in the audience and bring them up mm-hmm. uh, and uh, lets them sh- share in that and, mm-hmm. you know, make sure it's a tribute to them. I love that. Yeah. I, yeah. I am a military brat. For sure. My dad is retired Air Force. My brother's in the National Guard Army and my sister's in the Army. And nice. my sister and my brother were both deployed. So Sweet. get them, Toby. <laughs> I've, I've been over quite a bit since since 98 mm-hmm. playing for the troops. And it's, it's, it's a blessing to get to play for people that serve our country. Oh, yes. Yeah. I bet. I mean... Military themes have been a part of country music as far back as the 1920s during the various wars and such. So I can't even imagine how that is being over there, especially with Mark Wills, right? You guys would go overseas, play for the troops. So amazing. I love that artists do that. Like, I am sure they know, but for families that are not military families, it raises morale like you wouldn't even believe. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I'm so thankful that people do that. It's it's amazing the people that uh, that you meet that were over there when either Toby was over or uh, people that I've met since been playing with Toby that didn't know I played with Daryl or Mark and mm-hmm. would talk about them at that time and I would go well yeah I was with him when we came wow. over so, so cool. it's it's it, it's very satisfying to know that you can uh, bring a little joy to them with everything they go through. And, you know, your, your average American that has never been over there, that just hears about what goes on. Right. I think every American needs to have to go over there and experience mm-hmm. it one time. 
I agree. I mean, just hearing even my brother, my sister doesn't really talk about it much, but just hearing my brother speak of his time and he was in Kuwait. So it wasn't, you know, like in Afghanistan or Iraq, but just speaking about his time, I'm like, holy cow, like the mental health that you have to go through is just nuts. I don't know. I don't know how they do it. My, my siblings are way stronger than I am. Yeah, we get, I mean, going over and getting to talk, sit down one-on-one and mm-hmm. talk to people, and, you know, even when things were a little calmed down, like when Nashville flooded, you remember mm-hmm. when Nashville flooded? When Nashville flooded, I was with Daryl Worley, and I was sitting in Saddam's palace in Iraq. Oh, my gosh. Holy and cow. That, that was after we, we took it over, you know. Uh, yeah. That was after we took it over, but. You know, uh, hearing stories. How was from, that? I would feel terrified to be there. Like, I, I don't know. Because of the stories that, that you hear about the things that happened at his house. And, mm-hmm. You know, uh, just some some of the stories you hear about some of the stuff that he did to his mm-hmm. own people. Mm-hmm. just wow. horrific. How nuts. Unimaginable. Some of the things you've done, Dink. I mean, you have lived a life, sir. I swear. That is crazy. I've been blessed to do what I do as long as I do at the level that I get to do it at. Yes. I'm very, I'm very blessed. It's very cool. So, I mean, I, I know we're talking about this, the main, you know, this episode really encompasses how there was such a cultural shift, right? Because of this main horrific event that brought the nation together. Now we could argue, some could argue that 2001 and this shift was the beginning of cancel culture in a way, all because of the Dixie chicks or the Dick, the chicks as she, as they go now, um, which is still weird for me to say the chicks, they go by that now. Okay, I great. Call, I don't call them either one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you crack me up. Country <laughs> radio's blacklisting of, I'm going to call them the Dixie Chicks, okay? So don't yeah. cancel me, but whatever. Yeah. Of the Dixie You're Chicks. You're canceled. Okay. Toxic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Country radio's blacklisting <laughs> of the Dixie Chicks over the group's refusal to make apologies for singer Natalie Maines off. Is that right, Whitney? Natalie Maine? Yeah. Okay, that's how you pronounce it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Offhand criticism of President Bush during a UK concert. I, I, as a kid, remember people stepping on their CDs in the road. Like, I remember that vividly. And and I was a kid, and I was like, but that's a good CD. I remember remember seeing some of that stuff. Yes, people I would gather do. and have bond. People would gather and have bonfires. Oh, people oh, yeah. would and just okay. throw their CDs and all that in there. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but no matter what side you're on, okay, I'm just gonna say this for the people at home: if you're ruining your merch, they don't care. They already got your money, <laughs> and they're laughing their ass to the bank. So, just cut it out, okay? Oh. I know you want to make a statement, but it ain't that. That's, it ain't that serious. That's just like protest. How many times yeah. TV people protest me? It don't do no good to protest No, it honestly just makes it worse, I feel like. But, um, 
that whole scenario has actually been named one of the ugliest episodes in modern history of country music and demonstrated the dangers of tangling with polarized national discourse in a genre whose leadership or whose listenership is expansive but whose most powerful promotional tool remains a predominantly conservative fan base which is just facts right? Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, the timing of the rise of the internet acted as a catalyst in this situation too, because we were talking about how you didn't really have cell phones and all of that, right? Internet was new. You had the AOL, you had the real, real thing going on. <laughs> we were just starting out little baby internet dinosaurs. Remember that. How do I remember that? It echoed through the halls of my house. I mean, anybody and everybody in your household will know that you're on the internet because it's like, okay, you got to hang up the phone. I'm trying to get off the right. yeah. I had a gateway. I remember <laughs> like it was yesterday. Heck do you yeah. remember the AOL CDs that you would have to oh, put yeah. in to yeah. uh, <laughs> download? Yeah. <laughs> yes, and like I'm like, how am I ever going to explain this to Billy? Floppy disk. I remember floppy disks. Yeah, everyone asks like it's this prehistoric thing, and I'm like, <laughs> we literally saved crap on it. Like it's fine. Um, <laughs> but it is interesting that right as all this was happening, the internet was coming in, and then everything just boom, 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 boom. I feel like just kick-started a whole mess of stuff mm-hmm. and I love social media just because I like keeping up with y'all like I love watching what you and Keo do right on the road and all sorts of stuff but it has killed our society as a whole yeah. oh, it's yeah. so sad it's so sad I don't think I we need it. to know what everybody's doing all the, it is nice but we don't necessarily need to know what everybody's doing all the time well no. I don't think we need to know everybody's personal business yeah. All mm-hmm. their drama going on. That's why, you know, people, I, I've got people that go, hey, you missed my birthday. And I go, well, that's probably because I don't go, when I go to Facebook, I might go to my timeline. Uh, did I say timeline? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, and read my messages. Killing it. And uh, <laughs> so uh, I want to make sure I didn't say go to my wall. Um Post and, on the uh, wall. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I just, uh, unless when I first sign on to Facebook and I see something of a friend of mine that's on there, and if, if I happen to see a birthday, then I'll go tell them happy birthday. But I don't spend time going to everybody's page and going right. on birthday mm-hmm. every day. I got other things I got to do. Yeah. yeah. You got your own life and priorities you got to. Uh, I don't know. I remember when I was little, when I was little, I, I, and this, this, I don't want to, I'm not, this is not getting into politics. It's just a comment. But I (laughs) remember I asked, I asked my great aunt, I said, what political party are you voting? Or like, what are you Democrat or are you Republican? She said, we don't talk about politics. You don't, (laughs) you don't ask people about politics, religion, or money. And that is not a thing anymore. No. Yeah, you ask thing. everybody everything. <laughs> Actually, you don't even have to ask. People will just tell yeah. you. What's a shame? What's a shame is you know, and I'll say this, and I'm not afraid to say this. Uh, but I've I've got friends in the music industry. Um, that back in the you know back in the nineties and the late nineties, we all used to be one big family. 
and we all used to get up go play gigs together or go out and hear other people play and, and sit in and in different clubs and you know everybody was close and we never hesitated you know everybody called everybody brother and sister and we anytime before we would leave a club we'd always hug each other's neck and tell each other how much we love each other mm-hmm. now now because of politics it's hard it's hard for people because people like expressing their opinions on social media you have people that'll unfriend you or people that won't mm-hmm. play big with you or people that won't talk to you whatever happened to knowing each other loving each other and not giving a damn what political party that you were a part of right say what it happened? louder for people in the back you know <laughs> Yeah, I feel the same way. Let's, it takes all kinds of cons. I'm going to quote Miranda who, Lambert. <laughs> yeah, who, who cares whether you're a Democrat or a Republican when it comes to your everyday life and being friends and loving each other? Yeah, and just being kind. Like, why is it so hard to just be kind, you know? People, but it's so funny you say that. Yeah, people can't do that. So, no. And that's not no. me being political. Not no, really. facts are facts, Dink. You know, facts are facts. You know, uh, so I just, I just wish it would get back to the old days where we just all got along, and we don't care. You know, there was a reason back in the day when you went to vote that there was a curtain that you pulled because mm-hmm. you keep vote to yourself mm-hmm. and your political stance to yourself. Yeah. I know. I'm waiting for the bubble to pop. I don't know what it's going to be or how ugly it's going to get. <laughs> You know what I tell people? This is this is the part of, of my my opinion. I wake up in the morning, I go have coffee, I'll watch good morning football, I'll go have lunch with a different friend of mine every day. I'll come back and maybe do something musical or watch more TV, go have dinner, go play a gig come back home, go to sleep, and the next day I'm going to wake up and do the same thing. There's nothing going on in Washington that's going to affect what I do on a daily basis. Right. Mm-mm. And I'm not going to let it. Yeah. No, you know? I, I ignore all that stuff. <laughs> I remain blissfully unaware. <laughs> right? Yeah. It ain't going to bring me down. I'm just going to do about it. You just gets to a point where he cares. I know. Mm-hmm. It's such y'all, a mess. Y'all fight it out up there, and y'all do what you're both idiots on both sides. So. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> so, y'all just do your thing, and I'm going to do what I do every day on a, on, on a uh, regular basis and go eat, sleep, hang out with my <laughs> friends, love my family and my friends, and play music, and that's all I give a damn about doing. That's right. And watch football because football season's coming up. Called and Roll Tide, Alabama fixing to start. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, I was wondering how long it was going to take you to say Roll Tide. Where's, where's my other hat? Oh, oh, Wait, God. what's the, is it War Eagle? Yeah. Uh, I don't recognize that phrase. Go balls, <laughs> go balls, Dink. 
Tennessee, uh, Rocky Top. That's right. You know what? I pull for all SEC teams. You know. Okay, y'all. We weren't going to talk about politics. Is football <laughs> falling politics? Honestly, nope. sure <laughs> SEC football <laughs> is the South's politics. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, going back to the internet, I feel like the chicks would have been better off had the internet never existed because it could have been insider gossip. But instead of reaching a couple people and being whispers in the ear because of the internet, it reached hundreds of thousands of people, which is wild. Destroyed them. Sorry, ladies. In any era, a 9-11 type of event would have resulted in the songs that we've already mentioned. These types of songs struck a chord within their listeners and the themes became more common as the patriotism was shoehorned into several songs as that's what the people were craving at the time. It's amazing how many people have done data and analysis studies about this, about being pre and post 9-11 country music. Most reports can confirm to a certain extent that country music post 2011, or sorry, 2001, takes a slightly more personal approach and charged approach to the concepts of religion, war, and patriotism, while country music from 1950 to 2000 certainly had its fair share of emotionally charged songs, including those relating to war and religion. But country music of the 21st century is more focused on these areas than it was in preceding years, which is pretty interesting. I don't feel like a lot of the songs coming out now, though, are really that way. Because now you have artists like Lainey Wilson try. and what did you um, say? I was going to say try that in a small town. Oh. We're not getting into politics. <laughs> that has struck a chord. <laughs> yeah, people are probably s- screaming at Spotify right now like, you're stupid, of course there is. <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's a song. That's, that's a know, song. It is. That is a song. It is. It's just same how songs get twisted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Songs do get twisted. Everything gets twisted, you know? Yep, it does. Everything, but, everything gets twisted. Yeah. It's kind of annoying, you know? But anyway, <laughs> any, anything else you want to <laughs> say, Dick? Oh, my God. I'm scared to say anything about <laughs> Things like, I've said enough. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dink, for joining yes. us and spilling the tea. Um, I want to mention for our listeners to please go follow Dink Cook Music on Facebook. Um, make sure you visit www.dinkcook.com and pick up some DCM Studios merch. And we will tag that in our Instagram partner post as well. You're awesome. You're awesome. I miss you. I miss you too. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> we'll have to get together sometime. Absolutely. We'll do it. It was so nice talking to you today. And I learned so much. And I love just talking about the industry. So all your stories are really cool. Oh, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I bet. <laughs> I bet. So, so many years, so many stories. <laughs> well, awesome. we'd, we'd love to hear them all. Anytime you want to come back, we're right here. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. And we can't wait to hear what Toby Keith has next. So we'll stay tuned for that. Yep. Stay all tuned. Right. It's going to be all big. Right. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye.
thank y'all for listening to Spillin' the Tea. Whitney Merritt and Liz Ent are co-hosts and co-producers. The show is edited by Jeff Ent. Our theme song is sung by Whitney Merritt. You can follow us on Instagram at SpillinTheTea underscore podcast, Facebook at SpillinTheTea, and TikTok at SpillinTheTea Nash for all updates and additional podcast materials. We want to hear from you, so be sure to send your comments, leave reviews, give us your ratings, and share us with a friend. And most importantly, y'all come back now, you hear? Bye.